And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 38 of The Keith Law Show. I'll be talking to Meg Rowley of Fangraphs on today's show, talking about all of the stuff happening in baseball, which we have no baseball now. We have no games now, but there certainly seems to be no shortage of things to talk about. Um, Some administrative stuff first. Uh, The last thing I wrote was the ranking of the top 40 free agents available this offseason. You can still find that. Many of you have read it and offered feedback on it. I really appreciate that. Uh, There will be another piece for me, I think, later this week. I am working on it. It's a bit longer and a little bit different from what I've done before. So the lead time is a little bit different, but I've got a lot of interviews scheduled the next few days. It's a long way of saying, stay with me. There's more content coming. If you're not a subscriber and you would like to be, you can go to theathletic.com slash claw, K-L-A-W. And we're running a promotion. Uh, You can subscribe for $1 a week for uh, an introductory period. So please check that out if you are not currently a subscriber to our wonderful website. Uh, if you are a not a subscriber to this podcast, but maybe somebody has shared it with you or you discovered it on Twitter or you were just randomly clicking things in your podcast app, you happened upon this and you would like more, you can subscribe on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you get podcasts. And if one of those places allows you to leave a rating and a review, please leave a rating. I certainly hope it's a five-star rating. We do appreciate it. Things like that help other people discover the podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, it's my great pleasure to be joined by my friend and the managing editor of Fangraphs, Meg Rowley. She is also the co-host of the Effectively Wild podcast, which I would recommend you listen to, but only after you've finished listening to this <laughs> one. Meg, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So what an uneventful week in the United States for us to talk. <laughs> Have you uh, slept? Uh, I've slept more lately. That's good. Um, but I I was remarking to a friend the fact that the World Series ended, I guess, two weeks ago today as we're recording this. <laughs> it feels like it has been a millennia since yes. then. <laughs> I was thinking that I haven't talked to 
many baseball friends uh, about non-election things. Yeah. And I was like, like a month, right? And I'm like, no, that was 13 days ago. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. The world stopped spinning. And then, I mean, I, I'm happy with the results of the election. I understand not all listeners might be, but I'm more than pleased to say I'm really happy with the outcome of the election. Yeah. However, it has been exhausting. So we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something diff- exhausting in a different way, which yeah. is the state of baseball. Um, can we pour one out for these impoverished Major League Baseball owners, Meg? Oh, my gosh. I um, I guess the one... The one good thing about the the trend, the continued trend of saying the quiet part out loud is that the the sort of stakes and sides are really clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that to a lot of uh, your listeners, they've been clear for a while. And I don't know, you know, I always have a hard time gauging how uh, well the, the ins and outs of free agency and budgets and front office layoffs and all of that stuff sort of permeate through to the, the casual fan. Mm-hmm. But I think for folks who follow the game closely, are invested in its future, want to see good baseball, they're excited about when the season starts. Um, we have a pretty good idea of some of the priorities of ownership, and we've we've had them for a while, but they made them very, very abundantly clear uh, this season, and we're already starting to see um, how how they will continue into the offseason. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a good time to be a, a billionaire in America, but I guess it's really hard out there. <laughs> shed, shed a tear for the billionaires. I, uh, <sighs> what do you think, general, and I, we, you know, predictions at this point are really tough, but a lot yeah. of people are saying it's going to be an ice-cold free agent market this winter. I have sort of refrained from that because I feel like, one, I just feel like I don't know. We don't know. Right. And two... There's Steve Cohen. There's always a couple of owners who might say the Dodgers, I think, will still, they can spend because they've actually got quite a bit of payroll flexibility after 21. I feel like maybe the big guys on the market will get paid and maybe it'll be colder for the second tier or the third tier. What do you think is going to come out of this? I think that that's a a reasonable default until we see the first couple deals come through to the contrary. So I, I expect that, you know, George Springer is going to get paid. Real Muto's going to get paid. Trevor Bauer's going to get paid, right? The, the guys at the at the top, I think consistent with what we've seen in the last couple of years of free agency, the guys at the top are going to do well. I think the total dollars of this class will be lower than in years past, if only because, you know, we don't have a Mookie Betts coming free. Like the Dodgers took care of that business. So some of the really big names um, we just aren't seeing in this particular class. Um, but I think that the guys who are at the top of the market are good baseball players. They will probably be compensated as such. I do think for um, some of the guys in the sort of second and third tier, um, things are going to be harder. And I think that it's going to get more competitive as the winter presses on, because I think that we're likely to see a lot of non-tenders this year. So you know, I think Nelson Cruz probably does okay despite his age in this market. I think that some of the other first base DH types are going to see a lot of company in in the coming month as as teams sort of deal with their forty mans and, and let guys go at the non tender deadline. So, I, I think that 
the default assumption that it will be a colder market than it might have been if we hadn't had a pandemic, if we didn't have um, both the reality of that from a revenue perspective and the excuse of that from a revenue perspective, because um, I think both things are sort of in play where this was a, a harder financial year for teams, but also it's never as bad as they say it is and they're going to do just fine. Um, so I think that it'll probably be cold-ish guys at the top of the market will do fine. Um, and I think the thing I'm really curious to see, and I, I don't know how easily we're going to be able to gauge this, but I kind of wonder how guys are going to think about this year in concert with next year, right? Because on the one hand, hopefully if we start to have a better pandemic response and the, you know, the vaccine's proved to be as promising as the stock market thought they were going to be on Monday. Um, <laughs> and and we're able to get uh, our COVID rate in the U.S. under better control. You know, hopefully next year's revenue picture is going to look good. But I don't think that teams are especially inclined to spend in free agency while in the midst of a collective bargaining negotiation. So I, I will be really curious to see how many guys look at this market and say, well, if I if I take a one year deal and I re-enter free agency, I'm gonna do better. I don't know that that's true, and I don't know what their what players' impressions of next year's market will be. I think it's hard to disentangle those two things. So, um, I think there are a lot of unknowns both now and in the future that make it a little hard to predict. But um, I would be very surprised if we turned around and saw record deals being set. Um, just because of the financial environment and this particular class of free agents, which has good guys, as I said, but also has, you know, the the typical sort of middle of the road free agent as well. So, so you bring up a lot of points, several points I want to follow up on. One, you kind of anticipated, I was going to ask you what you thought about non-tenders. And it, it, somebody was asking me, uh, another writer was just asking me sort of what I thought about, what advice I would give to certain free agents. And one thing I thought was, if I'm, it, it, dep- it really depends on the free agent. Like the guys you mentioned, the Springer, Realmuto, Bauer, right. those guys are going to do fine. But I think a lot of these other free agents, I would worry if I were an agent for one of them, right. look at the non-tender market and say, if we get something we like, even if it's maybe shorter term, before that non-tender date, maybe it makes more sense to take them because I'd worry about teams flooding the market. Right. And no one wants to say there's ever collusion. And I don't know that there's actually collusion, but I certainly wonder if teams kind of signal somehow, you might not tender this guy, you might not tender that guy. And it's easy to signal that because you indicate you're, you, you may indicate you're trying to trade the guy. Uh, well, we're right. probably, we probably can't keep him. We'll give him away. for le- Teams will figure that out fairly quickly. And then you could flood the market with these non-tenders. And then if you're a agent, you might be in the, you know, another, you mentioned DH first base types. You right. could easily see yourself get crowded out and pushed down to maybe a, a lower dollar deal or maybe a one-year deal you didn't want to accept. Yeah, I think that there's a strong likelihood of that. You mentioned some of the teams that might spend more than others in this market. You know, I I do imagine that in his first year as the Mets owner that Cohen's going to want to make some kind of an impression. He's already sort of shown a willingness on the front office side to, um, you know, to sort of do right by those folks, right? He re-upped them to their pre-pandemic salaries. But that cost him $7 million, you know, a a good free agent costs more than that. So it's a little hard to, to know exactly what's going to be what I think he'll spend. Um, but we don't know for sure. You know, we saw teams that traditionally want to, um, 
this is a slightly different market, but teams that traditionally really benefit from um, having a lot of opportunity to draft be willing to go with a shortened draft this year. The Dodgers were among those teams. How do we read those signals sort of in conjunction with one another? They are going to have freed up payroll, but they have shown some willingness toward austerity, but they also extended Mookie Betts for 13 years. I did the math on how old I'm going to be when the Mookie Betts contract ends. And I I don't recommend it to anyone. I I will have had a Hall of Fame vote for a while. Let's put it that Uh, way. Yeah, I'll be... (laughs) Um, dangerously close to retirement age. So let's yeah. not, let's yeah. just not. So I think that there are, um, there are a lot of competing signals. And I think the first couple of weeks of free agency aren't likely to, to give us a lot to, to sort of, um, tip the scales one way or the other, because I think that in addition to being a, a cold market, it's likely to be a painfully slow yeah. market. Because there's not a lot of incentive to move quickly if the general mood is going to be austerity. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know how to to sort all of that stuff out. I'd like it. I'd like to be wrong. Yeah. You know, I run a baseball website. <laughs> you you write about baseball. It would be nice if we had a vibrant, active market. And Steve Cohen wants to to flood the market with good contracts. And the Dodgers say, we want to spend. And the Yankees say, we're going to take all that money that we recouped from reorganizing our farm system and we're going to put it into the free agent market. But I just don't think that that's likely. I think that you're going to see a lot of teams sort of slow to move. Um, and it it might take a little while. If, if for no other reason, then we don't know what baseball in 2021 is going to look like, <laughs> right? It's pretty hard to plan what's your big payroll acquisition going to be when you don't know how many games you're going to be playing. You don't know if you're going to have a designated hitter on your roster in the National League. There's just so much uh, unknown at this point that I think it's, you know, there's a lot about teams not spending this year that we can attribute to them being um, overly stingy with their payrolls and using the pandemic as an excuse to do stuff that they kind of wanted to do anyway mm-hmm. from a payroll reduction perspective. But I think there are a lot of genuine unknowns that are fair for teams to say, I'd like to get a little more clarity on this picture before I decide what I'm going to commit payroll to for 2021. That's the one situation, one um, maybe variable in all of this, where I would argue I'm, I'm on the owner's side. Like It's very hard to say how much you should spend in 2021, right. at least, when you don't know if you'll have fans in the seats, plus all the other things you just mentioned. Um, but that said, I'd probably, easy, it's not my money, but I would probably say, you know, by 2022, pretty good chance we're back to something approximating normal. If we're not, we have bigger problems, right? right? And so maybe you say, well, I'll spend, but defer some of the money, push some of the money off a year. And just sort of following that forward, I mentioned this a little bit with some of my own free agent rankings, at least. Maybe there's some free agents who should say, I'll just do a year. I'll do a one-year deal and I can go out and maybe play great. And then, you know, Marcelo Zuna, I think in a normal world, would probably do really well this winter. Maybe he still will, but he got a one-year deal and he played out of his mind. Right. Josh Donaldson ended up doing that right. previously. The Adrian Beltre contract. I would, depending on the player outside of the elite guys you mentioned, like maybe I would advise some guys to do that or at least be open to right. it. Maybe that might be the only thing that I was thinking. Maybe this is wishful thinking. Maybe we get a couple of early signings right. that I think, are short like that. Yeah, I think that there's some, um, some players that sort of fall into that category. We see this every year, right? There's mm-hmm. There's a James Paxton in every free agent class Mm. where it's like you got injured, 
you are promising. We think that there's a lot of potential there. You have this long injury history. They're starting to look a little less fluky than they were in the beginning. Take a one-year deal, reestablish your value, show that you can stay healthy, and then re-enter the market um, the following winter. And I think that that's a good idea. Again, I don't quite know how to reconcile that with the fact that they're the players and ownership will be in the midst of what I think we all expect to be a very contentious CBA negotiation. So I I think that we will see players do the sort of one-year pillow contract, reestablish value, but I don't, I'm having a hard time gauging how many of those we're going to see outside of the guys who had injury this year and sort of need to reestablish value. Yep. I, uh, I agree. I think, and I, I'm hoping that that's not just being hopeful that we'll see more of those that Paxton's a great example, by the way, I should have thought of that one. That's a really good one. You wouldn't be a Mariners fan at all by any chance. <laughs> Recovering, I think is the, the, the uh, term. Yes. Yes. I don't, yes. I don't feel fandom in much of an active way, but you know, I, I like <laughs> it when they, when they win, yep. which doesn't happen very often. They're the perfect team to be a baseball uh, media person and, and root for because you don't have to pretend they're good. You don't have to get defensive. It's like, <laughs> no, they're just often quite bad. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's easy to have objectivity about that because it's like, what are you going to What are you gonna do? Look at that squad and think it's good? No. Right, right. It's actually been fun. This is a tangent, but my partner is a big Eagles fan. Oh and boy! I really haven't cared about football in a very long time, but she wants to watch every week, and yeah. we do. And Carson Wentz is, I think, not good. Yeah, yeah, and he he certainly, I mean, he can complete a lot of passes. They're just not always to the correct team. Yeah, and I my understanding of the rules of football is that that's suboptimal. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's been it's kind of been fun to root a little bit for a bad team where the stakes are just sort of whatever. This is my job. I don't right. have to care. And right. I can say dumb things on the internet about football. And mostly people are like, you're watching football. Is this a distress <laughs> signal? Have you been kidnapped? Yeah. Do we need to come affect a rescue? Keith? Yes. Possibly. <laughs> possibly. Depends on where the Eagles finish. They are the first place Eagles still, last I checked, despite being not good. Yeah. We don't have to go on a football tangent. I am a Seahawks fan. So they are a special kind of torture because um, the, the <laughs> you know, the offense, quite good. The defense, yeah. incredibly poor. Um, but every time I catch Eagles football, I just think, hasn't Mike Trout suffered enough? <laughs> He's got to... <laughs> Do this? This is yeah. how he winds down? Ugh. He would probably be their second best receiver right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. So one other thing, you also mentioned austerity a couple of times. Yeah. And one other thing I would love to get your take on is the teams that just like outright bloodletting yeah. on the baseball operations side. It's mostly been scouts, which, you know, obviously you and Eric Long and Hagen, who's a, been a guest on the pod also, and I, we all depend depend on scouts anyway to do yeah. our jobs. But it has struck me as really pennywise and pound foolish when you look at how little they're saving relative to um, their, you know how much it runs takes to run a baseball yeah. team. And I wonder what you think the long-term implications. I have opinions, but what are your, your thoughts on what does this do long-term to the teams that cut like that? Well, I think that there's a tremendous hiring opportunity for the GM who's able to convince their owner that they can spend a little bit of money and pick up some incredibly talented baseball people. Mm -hmm. um, I 
I think that this is a good example of something that the pandemic sort of gave cover for owners to do that they had wanted to do for a long time. And I do think that this is a place where it's useful for people like us and for fans to sort of distinguish between what is the sort of idea and program of baseball operations and what is the program of ownership? Because I think this is a place where we saw them diverge. You know, when I talk to team people, um, there are teams that wanted to go sort of the Astros route and rely more heavily on video scouting and reduce the number of folks they sent out into the field to, to do in-person scouting. But, um, I don't think that that is every team in baseball. I think there were plenty of teams, whether it was in their scouting departments or just on the the baseball upside from an analyst perspective that had a mandate to let people go and didn't want to. Um, and I think that you're going to see, um, you know, we, we aren't getting a lot of job postings at Fangraphs. I think that it's going to take a while for some of these positions to come back. And I think that particularly on the scouting side, we're not going to see departments recover to the numbers they were at previously because, like I said, this gave cover to do a thing they had wanted to do for a long time. And I totally agree with you that it is it is pennywise and pound foolish. You know, there's a lot you can do on video. That's fine. But not having a robust scouting department seems like cutting off access to a particular kind of information because that's what scouting is, right? It's another data mm-hmm. source. Yep. Um, I don't think that the scouts versus stats debate is really happening in, in f- smart front offices the way that folks who kind of read Moneyball and then checked out afterward think it is. <laughs> I think smart organizations look at it as here's another source of information. And some of the information that in-person scouts are able to bring is really useful from a baseball perspective. And some of it's really important from a makeup perspective. Not having robust amateur scouting sounds like a really good way to blow a first round pick on. Do we, Do you do swearing on your pod? You Keith? can swear. Yes. Sounds like a really good way to like blow a first round pick on an asshole who's not going to have a place in your organization. And that's not the only place that scouts add value, but it just seems like, like you said, for the amount of money this costs an organization, it's a rounding error in yeah. their overall budget, right? I mentioned the the move that Cohen made when he bought the Mets to sort of bring people up to their prior salaries. It cost him $7 million to do that for the entire organization. That's like one year of an okay reliever, you know, it's (laughs) just so little money. And I think that there were organizations, um, that, that conducted themselves well in the course of the pandemic. You know, we did see orgs that said, we're, we're not going to fire people. We're not going to furlough people. We're going to make sure that pay cuts happen at the top and less at the bottom, because that $5,000 makes a big difference when you're making 50 K and it doesn't make a ton of difference when you're making 250 K. But there were organizations that I think really showed who they were in a way that is going to affect their ability to recruit talent in the future. Because if I am trying to get into scouting right now Mm -hmm. and I'm looking around, I'm not going to go work for the angels. Right. I'm not going to go work for an organization that furloughed their amateur scouts two weeks before the draft when yeah. one paycheck gets them into the draft room, the virtual draft room. I'm, you know, no way. That's not an organization that treats its people well. So I, I think that there is an opportunity for organizations to say, you know, treating people well, that's our market inefficiency, um, yeah. which is a 
gross way to talk about a gross phenomena, but I think that there's a lot that can be said for orgs that are willing to look around and say, you know, we can afford to keep the $60,000 area scout on payroll because it's 60K and our yeah. owner is worth $10 billion. Yep. The In fact, you, you mentioned the Angels, whose owner is a multi-billionaire, and they were one of the first... And then, and then ended up firing the GM too. So, right. it, which makes it look makes them seem a bit directionless. Right. Um, as, as does the fact that they're interviewing, I think, eleven or more candidates for GM. And whatever, more is better than doing what the White Sox did, which was interview one guy and then uh, one candidate of color to meet the requirement, and then right. pretending there was an actual search. But but you compare the Angels to, as far as I know, the Rays and the Dodgers have kept everybody. I right. think they've kept everybody. I hope that's correct. I certainly have not heard of them letting go large numbers of scouts or coaches or anything. Right. Oh, by the way, those two teams ended up in the World Series. Maybe that's a coincidence, but I'd like to think it's also a sign of stewardship right. on the part of the people who run the teams. Right. I think that you know when we talk about um, sort of baseball budgets, it's often about players. And so I think that fans – think of everyone involved in those conversations as being a millionaire. But I know normal folks who got let go in the middle of a pandemic and because of the way that baseball contracts are structured, couldn't seek other opportunities and we're just sort of in this weird limbo. Um, and then you're right, you did see organizations. I think the Rays did have a couple of layoffs. My understanding is that those were more on the business side, not on the baseball yep. ops side. Um, but, you know, like the twins held on to their people mm -hmm. right baseball makes a big deal as a as an institution and on the individual team level of talking about family right baseball is a family we see players kids and spouses and grandmas get roped into marketing stuff and in the middle of a global pandemic and the worst economy we've had since the recession in 08 there were a lot of teams that didn't take care of their family yep. Right. Their immediate family. And so I think that you're right, that there are organizations that did a good job. And some of those orgs, you know, they played in the World Series. And I think that people who work in baseball have a long memory and they're going to remember that. They're going to remember how the race scouts were treated versus the Angels. They're going to factor that into their decision making if they're in a position to be choosy about what team they work for. So. Before I let you go, I want to talk about the three elephants in the room. Uh, Alex okay. Cora, AJ Hinch, and Tony La Russa. Oh, boy. Take your pick. Who would you like to talk about? So I'm, we're recording this while I'm, I'm on vacation. I think it, it wasn't court-ordered vacation, but my mom was, <laughs> was very insistent that I take a damn break. Yay, mom. Um, yeah, mom. And so I'm on vacation. And so I've been trying really hard not to, to be on Twitter because <laughs> that's a bad place. And vacation is supposed to be nice and relaxing. <laughs> but I I looked at Twitter last night to see the, the Rusa news come across. I think that the thing you can say um, th there that I think applies to a lot of organizations, but is perhaps um, assuming its worst and most malignant form <laughs> in the Larusa hire is that baseball really needs to think long and hard about what it what it is willing to leave to the discretion of teams versus what it is willing to mandate when it comes to the hiring process it's going to require for senior level people in organizations. 
And the only way we are going to end up with a baseball that looks like the people who play it and the people who watch it is if we have rigorous and formalized hiring processes that actually consider a variety of candidates and then picks the person who is the best baseball sort, right? Let's find the best fit for the organization. Um, I think that, you know, even before the news of another DUI came out, we could object to the process here because in addition to totally taking the front office's legs out from under it, you know, inevitably when some analyst comes down to the dugout and says, hey, Tony, uh, we think that you should be shifting here. And Tony says, hey, get lost. And then the front office is going to be like, I wonder whose side ownership is going to take in this particular (laughs) conflict. But even setting that part aside, you know, you're just not going to find the the bench coach who has a lot of promise. You're never going to find, you know, that second banana who could run a baseball team and do the hard work in the locker room and relate to players and be an on-field tactician and do all of the like HR stuff that being a manager is, right? We think about being a baseball manager as, as deciding who comes in from the bullpen and it is that, but you also have to like run the weirdest workplace on the planet and, manage a bunch of (laughs) professional athletes and their personalities and that's a big job and I think that you need a variety of people to do it and I think you know his age does not disqualify him but Tony LaRusso hasn't been in the dugout in a long time right like he has said things that show that he is sort of not a man of the moment, let's say, either from an analytics perspective or from a social perspective. And so for him to be in charge of one of the most exciting young teams in baseball is just so disappointing because that you want White Sox games to be appointment viewing because they have cool, exciting young guys. They got a great broadcast booth. They're a good, fun, exciting team. And we're going to spend some portion of the 2021 season talking about whether Tony La Russa has been able to win over the clubhouse. And, you know, I anticipate that he's going to say something cringy about Tim Anderson. And I'm sure we'll get a he needs to hustle down the line uh, argument about pick a guy on that roster. And Ankata, that's my guess. And a robust hiring process doesn't guarantee that those things don't happen as an aside, right? Like who you hire man- matters a lot. But I think that if we want baseball to really be putting the best and brightest forward, we need to consider that baseball has not always done a good job of promoting the best and the brightest. And so we need to have a robust hiring process so that we can be sure that we're finding those folks and adequately assessing them and then putting them in a position to succeed. So that part of Larusa is was true before yesterday's news. And then you see this and you're like, really? There wasn't anyone else you could have gone to. Even if you wanted to hire an old stodgy white guy, you couldn't have hired the old stodgy white guy who doesn't have a pending criminal matter in Arizona. Like, come on, guys. Uh, So, yeah. 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 So that's what I have to say about that. In terms of the the managers who had previously been sort of tied up in the sign-stealing stuff and then have been brought back, I, I struggle with this because on the one hand, I think for folks to say that n- they suffered no consequences is kind of selling something, right? That's overstating mm-hmm. things. They did suffer some consequences. Yep. We don't have to think that those were sufficient consequences, but like, let's, you know, be clear in our terms. Um, I think that the part of it that I find the most bizarre 
isn't that a team would want to bring in someone like a Hinch or a Cora. Those guys seem to be very well liked in the organizations they've worked for. Players like them, media likes both of them. Um, I I don't necessarily think that they should not have a place in baseball, but they participated in two pretty serious cheating scandals and at the very least weren't able to stop them when they, you know, were right in front of them. And I think you probably need to show that you can like sort out how to be a manager of people Mm -hmm. when you've had such a colossal failure. And that doesn't mean that you can't be hired by a team, but it probably means that you need to spend some time like as the third base coach, (laughs) right? Like, you don't, you don't have to come back in at the manager level. I think you can provide opportunities to other folks who um, have been kind of waiting their turn. And I would imagine that if I were, you know, a bench coach somewhere that had managerial aspirations, I would find this winter very frustrating because it's like, really, we can't clear the deck now. Right. <laughs> yes. I, that was my takeaway from all three. Uh, sorry, not from all three, from the LaRusso one more than from the other ones was that God, if I were a qualified candidate who'd managed, say, in the minors for a while, uh, who was from part of some underrepresented minority group, I'd say, what the hell do I have to do? You're recycling that guy who hasn't managed in nine years, has made some comments that make it fairly clear he's not the man of the moment, a man of the moment, as you said. And now we know also has at least his second DUI, second DUI that we know about. Really, that guy, you know, there's always the line about white men continuing to get more chances, more chances, and the right. opportunity to sort of fail upward. And this seems like a perfect demonstration of that. There are qualified candidates out there right. who don't look like LaRusa and who don't have all of his flaws. And none of them got a chance here, which is extremely disappointing because, by the way, what a great team to get to manage, too. Full of exciting right. young players and I think continuing to improve. The White Sox, with doing nothing else, will probably be better in 2021 than they were in 2020 anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's quite disappointing. I think that we can, we can do better. And I think that it just shows that teams left to their own devices will often opt not to have a rigorous process. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a place where if the league is serious, if the commissioner is serious about having, uh, hiring processes that allow the cream to rise, Mm -hmm it's going to require something in the form of a mandate. I said this on Effectively Wild. I'll say it again here. I think the last year has shown that like relying on norms to get yeah. things done tends to leave you in a bad spot. Yep. So I think that if the league wants to take this seriously, they're going to need to do some work to add rigor to the process. Um, and it needs to be more than saying you have to interview one person of color for positions like this. Um, I think that they need to do a lot more to help teams refine what their process is so that we get, um, you know, something uh, uh, approaching a rigorous and fair process. And that isn't going to necessarily mean that every manager who gets hired from here on out is going to be a person of color. But I think it could give us the sense that this is being taken seriously and that real opportunity is being afforded and not being assumed as something that you can kind of luck your way into when, um, you know, when the books have been balanced one way for such a long time, you need to do something active to try to, you know, make baseball look more like the people who play it. Um, and I think that this is just another example of that. 
My guest today has been Meg Rowley. She is the managing editor of Fangraphs. You can read her work on Fangraphs.com and you can also hear her as the co-host of the Effectively Wild podcast. Meg, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's show. No closing remarks other than maybe to mention that I am sleeping a little bit better these last few days and I hope that you are too. Please stay safe, everyone. Wear your mask. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.